Hey, 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 and welcome to episode 142 of the Live Your Fuck Yes Life podcast. My name is Amanda Catherine Loy. I am your host, and today it's just you and me, and we are talking about all things relationship models and dynamics um, and all of the goods that come with that um, that we don't really know about. We really just know about monogamy. We really just know about non-monogamy and whatever is under that umbrella. And we're going to just go through the list um, today and talk about it because it's so important to know what's possible so that we can continue to break free from the boxes that we have been constantly, uh, you know, pushed towards and indoctrinated into in a lot of ways um, and culturally programmed to believe there's only one possible path um, so that we can know what our options are and build our lives in ways that are actually reflective of our deepest values, our deepest needs, um, And maybe you don't know what those are, and if that's true, then, um, you know, that's the first place to start. But I also encourage you, even if you're in that place, to listen to this episode with an open heart and just kind of hear the different possibilities and see what feels exciting to you, what feels like, oh, that's actually really reflective of me, and you might be surprised by what the answer is. And that could very well be monogamy, right? Like, um, I know a lot of you listen because you uh, love to hear about my take as a polyamorous person. I also was monogamous for a very, very long time. And I think monogamy, when chosen, is really, really important and healthy. So anyways, before we get there, though, I just want to say I might be sounding a little bit different today. Um, I am traveling, and so I don't have my typical um, podcast set up right now. Um, and so I'm actually currently, in this moment, recording this from my my parents' uh, closet <laughs> because it was the thing that would help with the, the most echo in this house um, on the floor and with my iPad and my my setup. So hopefully everything is sounding okay, but if it does sound a little bit different um, or if you're hearing some different things than how my normal stuff normally sounds, that's why. Um, so yeah, that's that's all I have to say before we get into the goods and let's fucking go. Okay, so... I wish I had had this information um, really, frankly, like up until a year ago, I didn't really even know the extent of what polyamory could look like, let alone uh, that there are so many different relational options. And frankly, I also, given that I was just the one practicing monogamy and I was in the same relationship for my adult years, really, um, the whole time when I was monogamous, I didn't really understand that there were multiple ways to even do monogamy. Um, That is something that has come to my understanding in the last um, couple of years. And it's been wild to me to think about because I'm like, oh, wow, like how I practice monogamy is actually how not how a lot of people practice it. Um, And so I've been getting a lot of questions and get a lot of questions about all the different types and styles and relationship styles. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about them. And I also think that there's uh, a lot of, in, in a lot of communities, um, both, you know, monogamous people, polyamorous people, and combined, there's a lot of binary thinking, right, wrong, black and white. And what I love about this framework and really understanding um, and, 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 and 
I, I will go so far as to say definition base is that it gives you the capacity to live in the gray, which as we know, um, I love to do. And it's really the only way I know how to live because, um, I, I don't really think there's anything that's so black and white and so, um, so binary when it comes to the way we think about anything. Um, there's, everything has so much more nuance than we give it credit for. And, um, that includes relationships, right? And, um, so yeah, like I said in the, in the intro, I really just want to encourage you to have an open mind, even if you feel like this is for sure who I am and I know it, like maybe you're going to hear something. I know I did, right? Hear something that I say, um, or when I'm talking about the different styles that sparks something in you and, and allow yourself to be curious about it. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's the right path for you, but just allow curiosity to be your leading force while you listen and hear, um, and try and take your attached stigmas and biases out of the mix. It's really hard to do because obviously, like, I'm biased. I am I totally have my own biases when it comes to my own experience in life. We all do. We bring that to the table. But try and take whatever preconceived notions you might have about what, you know, like, if I say the word swinging, which I will, like, take try and take away your preconceived notions of that and just listen to it as I'm expressing it. So I'm actually um, using a lot of my my resources from a, a book and an author that I is probably the number one resource that I recommend in all of my peer support sessions to anyone who is non-monogamous or frankly in relationships. It is all about attachment theory um, from the context of you know, having a trauma lens and also having a non-monogamous lens, but even monogamous people can really be supported by this book. It's called Polysecure by Jessica Fern. Um, she was on the podcast earlier. Um, I believe that it is episode, let me find it for you guys, but I'm pretty sure that it's episode 122. Yep. 122 is called Breaking Down Attachment Styles with Jessica Fern. And she's the author of Polysecure, like I said. And that is my number one recommendation to people because it is the best attachment theory book I have ever read. And it's really, 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 really epic, especially when it comes to non-monogamy. Um, and in that book, there is a quadrant um, that she sort of builds out um, on page 110, if you want to look at it, if you're a visual person. Um, and I'm going to kind of, I've taken my own take on this, um, but I'm going to be sharing some of her definitions um, because I think that it's really important that we have common language around this stuff. And these are the definitions that I have found personally um, that I feel the most uh, inclined to, that they just resonate with me the most. And so maybe these definitions don't resonate with you. And I would love to hear all about that. Um, obviously, let me know in the post. I'm, though, there will be a post about this on my page. I'm at Amanda Catherine Loy. I always love to hear your thoughts. Um, and let me know in the comments of that post. I will also be making a graphic for you all so that you can sort of follow along. It's not in the quadrant, but more of what I would see as like a gradient. The same way that the Kinsey scale is, you know, you're either a one or a five or somewhere in the middle. Um, that's also kind of how I see this. And I've, I've made a gradient that goes from monogamy all the way to relationship anarchy, which is a form of polyamory. Um, and also, frankly, at the end of the day, they're more philosophical mindsets than anything. Um, and, and also can then lead to choices around how we 
operate within our relationships, whether those are sexually or emotionally or beyond. So yeah, like I said, check that out on my page at Amanda Catherine Loy if you like the visual piece of it. Um, and if you disagree with anything or if you have a different def- definition, as always, I want to hear. Um, but we can't obviously get to that until we start talking about it. So okay, we're going to go from the end of the spectrum, which is, you know, starting monogamy, which is what we're compulsory programmed from birth to believe is the only acceptable form of really operating, right? Um, All the way to relationship anarchy. Um, And so, yeah, that's where we're going to start. So we're going to start with monogamy. Now, I'm, again, like I said, reading these definitions by Jessica Fern, um, and I'm going to be sharing my perspectives around them as well. But I will tell you that when I read Jessica's definition for monogamy, I was shooken. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you why after I read it. Maybe you'll be shooken too. Okay, so monogamy is traditionally high in both sexual and emotional exclusivity. Some couples that consider themselves monogamous do vary on how emotionally open or closed they are to people outside of the relationship, but it is common for monogamous couples to consider each other as their only sexual partner and emotional primary. In monogamous couples, a partner is usually considered to be cheating if they engage sexually with others and or if they share deep or romantic emotions with others. So that is her definition of monogamy. And it turns out also the definition of many folks um, that I spoke to. Because when I first read this book over a year ago now, I, I did a poll on my Instagram stories about like, is this, you know, how you also perceive monogamy? And some people were like, no, not at all. And some people were like, yes, 100%. Now, I understand the sexual exclusivity piece. That's what I've always understood monogamy to be. You're just sexually exclusive with somebody and you're, you know, usually building a life with that person. It often leads to a lot of the things along the relationship escalator, right? Um, but to have emotional, essentially emotional exclusivity or that cheating is, it's considered cheating if they share deeper romantic emotions with other people felt so bizarre to me. And I don't know if this is because I live in the queer community, but even then I only came out and came into that myself in 2018, you know, so I was operating when I believed I was straight and monogamous very, very much that that wasn't the case. I was all, I'm romantic with all of my friends. I, you know, I'm incredible, have incredibly deep relationships that are not my romantic partners. And those have always been, that's always been true for me. And so I remember reading this and I was like, damn, this is not what I This is not what I personally believed. Now, later, she has um, a a definition and a term that I had never heard of before, which I personally put right next to monogamy. You might find this different, but this is my personal experience. And that term is polyintimates. And she writes and says, I've started to use this term for people who are sexually exclusive with one partner, but who are not emotionally exclusive with that partner in ways that a traditional monogamous relationship would typically disallow, be suspicious of, or characterize as emotional cheating. Polyintimates might share varying degrees of romance and emotional intimacy with more than just the person they are sexually exclusive with. Polyintimates might be non-sexual partners who live together, travel together, raise children together, or share other aspects of life where the level of investment and involvement does not fit the conventional notion of friendship. That 
is what I believe I was practicing essentially when I was believing myself to be monogamous, (laughs) if that makes sense. Um, And it really blew my mind when I read that because I was like, oh, interesting. Like, I didn't necessarily have my life intertwined because I, like, in, like, typical ways, like, I didn't necessarily live with my non-sexual partners, but travel together, like, see community for sure. I don't really have any friends who have kids at this point. Um, Like, my closest friends don't have, don't have kids. And so it was just like, yeah, like, I'm emotional. Like, if you need me, like, I'm there, you know, I will drop everything to be there. Like, the emotional uh, ex- uh, intensity was just very, very, very present. And I never saw a, um, hierarchy in terms of importance when it came to my romantic and sexual partner over my, my friends. Um, so yeah, I guess I really was operating as, you know, in poly intimates for a long time. So then next, next to that one, I placed monogamish. So monogamish was coined by Dan Savage. Um, The term was coined by him. And some people hate it. Some people love it. But I think it's actually a really apt way to describe, you know, this, this particular way of operating relationships. And Jessica also uses this in her book. And she says that it refers to couples who are mostly sexually and emotionally exclusive, but periodically engage in extramarital or extra relational sex or sexual play obviously all in a consensual consensual way. These exceptions might include occasional one-time hookups, sex with other people while traveling, or even kissing other people, like occasional threesomes is my additional thing. You know, like, well, we're monogamous, we, we have our life together, but occasionally we play, you know? Um, it's much more on the occasional end, um, but it's definitely something that I have, I know people in my life who are, and lean towards, and feel most inclined on the monogamish side of things. So I think it's a super valid way of operating. Um, The next one on the list, in my opinion, is swinging. Um, So you've gone from monogamish to swinging. And this is, again, it's it's still emotional exclusivity, um, but there's just a lot of, you know, different kind of sex happening. And so Jessica's definition of this is the practice of couples engaging in sexual activity with other couples, individuals, or groups. The focus of those encounters is primarily sexual rather than romantic or emotionally intimate. And couples who consider themselves as swingers typically sexually play with others while they are together in the same room or at the same event rather than completely separately from each other. In my practice, I've encountered many swingers who do want to feel some level of connection with the people they are swinging with, but often prefer to keep emotional involvement to a minimum in order to maintain the emotional primacy of their marriage or primary relationship. So that's swinging. Super valid way of operating as well, and something that I know a lot of people really, really love and really vibe with and feel good about. Okay, so that's that's next. So the next... The next thing that I would personally qualify on this is an open relationship or marriage. And Jessica defines this as a relationship where one or both partners in a relationship have sexual or romantic relationships outside of their primary partnership. Open relationships tend to be more focused on having sex and limiting the degree of emotional involvement with others in order to keep the primary dyadic relationship as the first priority. So really to me, this is 
just like an extension of swinging, except instead of doing it together, you're not right. So it's not about like this. We're doing this together. We're, we're going to these parties. We're experiencing these things and doing it all together. It's that we're having these external things that are separate, kind of the same. What I personally see as like a separation between kitchen table polyamory and parallel polyamory. Um, and, uh, you know, you're either doing it uh, and trying to foster more community and uh, togetherness, or you're really not, you don't really care about that. And you just want to have these experiences as, as individuals. Um, yeah. But again, what's different about this is it's still focusing primarily on the sexual component, right? Um, and then that's where it starts to shift out of the more sexual component exclusively or almost exclusively um, into what I perceive to be next, which is polyfidelity. So polyfidelity is a form of polyamory. Um, and this is when, as Jessica says, a romantic or sexual relationship involves more than two people, but these people are exclusive with each other. So you often see I'm, I'm sidebarring for a second. Um, oh, she actually says this. So I'll, I'll continue her thing. This could include a group relationship of three or more people that is close to any additional outside partners. Or it could be a person who has more than one partner and their partners are not dating each other. But they are also closed to additional relationships. Okay. So, again, it's basically like uh, – other. Uh, it's basically having – yeah, like it's monogamy, but not in the sense that like you're sexually exclusive, but within a group dynamic. Okay, so you'll see a lot of triads um, or quads um, that you might see on social media talking about where, you know, we're, we're a closed triad. That's what that means. They're polyfidelitous. Now, one thing that I didn't necessarily include in the graphic or that's included in PolySecure is polygamy, which I think I would categorize as somewhere in this space. Um, the difference is, right, you're not necessarily having sexual, like there's more sexual exclusivity within those dynamics, but it's also not like everyone's involved. Um, but it is still a closed dynamic where there's emotional exclusivity and sexual and, and variants of sexual exclusivity as well. Um, so it's it's very much more yeah i would i would i would qualify it and categorize it in sort of the the polyfidelitous space although it's obviously different as it has much more religious overtones and political overtones and um all sorts of stuff in that space so yeah that's that's that and then you know we step into the various forms of polyamory right and the thing about polyamory is like people think, oh, there's just one way. Like it's, it's really black or white, but it really it's not. And there's a lot of nuance when it comes to this, the same way that it turns out there's a lot of nuance when it comes to monogamy. And I just never realized um, in all my monogamous, it took me being polyamorous and like hearing other people talk about monogamy to be like, oh damn, like, you know, because at the end of the day, again, all of this is about us building like getting to know our needs and our values and then building relationships and fostering agreements within those relationships that are a reflection of those things but we don't ever know to do that we aren't ever taught to do that and so often we end up you know in a relationship where we think we're on the same page but we're really not and that's because we haven't 
we haven't had those, those conversations with ourselves and also with each other. Um, we're just living in a world where we think, oh, well, if we are married, this is what this looks like. If we are monogamous, this is what this looks like. If we are polyamorous, this is what this looks like, you know, but it's not, it's why communication and really, really stepping into that space is so huge. So, you know, share this with your partner, your partners, um, and let this be like a discussion tool for you guys to sort of say like, okay, which of these feels good to you? And like, what are, what are your needs and wants and values when it comes to our dynamic, like your, yourself and how you want to show up and how, how are those reflected in our agreements? Like, are we actually seeing relationships the way that we thought we were? Or are we just unconsciously operating, which is how most of us operate in the world because that's all we have ever been taught to do. So, okay. So stepping into polyamory, the next thing on the, you know, the scale, um, the relationship scale, (laughs) we'll call it the fuck yes relationship scale is hierarchical polyamory. Okay. So there's a lot of shit that's talked about hierarchical polyamory and I hate it. I've talked about this a lot. Um, but we're going to share, um, beep, 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 um, Jessica's description here. And again, like if you have a perception around this, please, please, please just try and take it off of your, off your heart for a little bit and be open to what this might say. Okay. So it's a subset of polyamory where there is a ranking system among romantic slash sexual relationships. And some relationships are considered more important than others. A person's primary partner would be at the top of this ranking system since primaries usually cohabitate, share resources, make decisions together, and organize their schedules so that they are spending the most amount of time together. Hierarchical relationships tend to use the terms primary, secondary, and sometimes tertiary, describing various levels of importance, commitment, and who has the rights to create relationship agreements. Typically, the people in a primary relationship with each other set the rules for all subsequent relationships, which might include restrictions on certain recreational or social activities, limits on certain sex acts or how strong, deep, or invested other relationships can become. Many polyamory experts caution against hierarchical relationship structures that create asymmetrical balances of power in which people in secondary or tertiary positions have little or no say about how their relationship unfolds or are subject to vetoes or rules from their metamors. In more than two, uh, the authors make the distinction between prescriptive and descriptive hierarchy. Prescriptive hierarchy occurs when a couple predetermines that their status as primaries will not change and all future relationships will be subordinate to theirs. All of the relationship styles, um, so still on Jessica's, uh, it's a very long (laughs) one, so She continues, descriptive hierarchy is less about a given relationship prescription for the future. The term describes a hierarchy that might include several primaries that have emerged more organically and become more domestically, financially, or emotionally entangled than other relationships, but there is still an openness to things changing or new people entering the hierarchy, which I think is a really important piece that isn't necessarily included as much. Um, So, you know, just something to consider and think about. I also will say that I don't pers- I don't necessarily agree with some of the language that is used um, in her definition. I think it paints a picture of hierarchy as being inherently coercive and manipulative, and I do think that often that is that can and is true. However, I think that really at the end of the day hierarchical dynamics are simply expressing, hey, I 
am a person that has a life that is already built and cohabitated with someone, or that's what I want. You know, I want to get married. I want to run the, build the relationship escalator and, and, you know, operate in that space to at least to a degree. Um, and really, really spend most of my time, energy and prioritization in this, with this one person. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to, you know, operate outside of that and have other relationships. They're just going to have less time and have less prioritization, but that is expressed and needs to be expressed in an upfront way, right? That's where a lot of the time that we, I could go into this forever, but that's a lot of the time how hierarchical relationships can be problematic is they are actually that. And then they aren't framed as that. Um, right. And it's like, you know, you can just be very clear about like your personal boundaries. Like I already have this person and I only have one day a week that's available to you. I, I do not believe that hierarchical relationships exclusively and frankly, healthy hierarchical relationships, um, do not include, you know, any veto power on a person necessarily, unless it's, you know, we're talking about having conversations together and it's like, actually, this isn't going to work. Right. And you can then make that decision as a person and say, oh, you're actually not the right person for me. But if everyone's consenting to the experience and to the understanding of the time commitment and prioritization, that's a beautiful and very healthy thing. Um, and a lot of people really, really love and thrive in hierarchical dynamics. Okay. So then the next version, the next thing, uh, under the polyamory bubble of our, um, fuck yes, relationship scale is non-hierarchical polyamory. So Jessica defines this as the practice of having multiple simultaneous relationships without imposing hierarchies. This means there's no ranking system of primary and secondary. It means that no one person has extra influence over a person's relationships, including veto power or more privilege because they live together or have been together longer. All important people get a seat at the table and everyone gets to have a voice. Each relationship is allowed to grow into what it naturally wants to be. In some cases, Non-hierarchical polyamory may include prioritization of certain relationships and instances where people have children together or live together, but the non-hierarchical structure does not endorse power differentials and allows for more flexibility in how relationships can change and evolve over time. So that is non-hierarchical polyamory. I really, really, really agree with all of that. And, you know, again, like, like she says, there can be elements of hierarchy that can kind of exist in that, like inherent hierarchy, like, you know, when people are financially entwined or married, there's the legal hierarchy of that or live together, right? There are, there are elements of hierarchy, depending on the relationship you're looking at, that are going to exist or can exist in non-hierarchical dynamics. But it's really more about the philosophical approach to how you see relationships, how you see life and, um, and all of that stuff. And that's much more, um, personally, the, the form of polyamory that I have always felt most called to and most pulled to. Um, it's the one that really sits well within my personal value system. Um, but again, you know, you got to check in with what feels, feels the best and greatest for you. Okay. And then next on our, you know, we're getting to the, to the end of the spectrum. We got two more. Um, the next one is solo polyamory. Um, and solo polyamory, as Jessica writes, is an approach to polyamory that emphasizes personal agency. 
Individuals do not seek to engage in relationships that are tightly couple-centric or financially and or domestically entwined. People who identify as solo poly emphasize autonomy, the freedom to choose their own relationships without seeking permission from others, and flexibility in the form their relationships take. It is a common misconception that people practicing solo polyamory are either more casual or less committed to their relationships, but this is not necessarily the case. Solo poly folks can be deeply emotionally involved and committed to their relationships, but they typically choose not to take on the traditional roles that some partners assume, like living together, having shared bank accounts, or doing each other's laundry, at least not as a relationship obligation. One principle of solo poly that I think everyone can benefit from is the notion of being your own primary partner and prioritizing your relationship with yourself first and foremost. It's definitely something that's important to learn. Uh, and a lot of people, solo poly, like are really finding uh, support with their own personal journeys of breaking free from codependency and healing their attachment styles and all sorts of stuff. Um, but yeah, solo polyamory is definitely becoming more and more popular. Um and really, it's 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 like she said, like it's you uh, you want to live your life on your own terms. Like you're your primary partner. Everything else is gravy, right? And you don't want to necessarily have really much on the relationship escalator. You, you know, the marriage, the um, the cohabitation elements, all of that, right? Um, and that might feel really good to you forever. It might feel really good to you for a period of time in your life. Um, and there's a lot of folks that really, you know, more and more folks are talking about solo polyamory. It is a path that does not at all feel aligned for me. Um, I really love cohabitating with a partner. I really, you know, love marriage. Generally speaking, I don't have anything against it. I think it's a beautiful thing. And I, I like that aspect of things. I like, you know, having the couple centric aspect of that. And again, that's also probably in a lot of ways, my own, my own bias and my own privilege coming through because I've lived a lot of my life in that space, um, which has been really, really healthy for me. And also, um, and I'm also grateful for, and also at the same time, you know, I, I did a lot of that work that I think a lot of people find polyam or solo polyamory really supports them with, um, that self work while in the context of a relationship. And I think sometimes we have the perspective that we can't do that work while we're also in relationships, which as you've listened to past episodes, you know, that I deeply disagree with. I think we, you know, I think it's really important to be in relationships with this. So the, this one is not, and like, and frankly, to have relationships that aren't just the gravy. Like I love having like deep and meaningful relationships that are um, um, more, more, more couple centric, I guess, you know, more like interdependent versus in, the independent piece of this, which is definitely where the solo polyamory things come into play. So um yeah, that's, it doesn't personally align with my value system, but I know it aligns with a lot of people's value system when it comes to polyamory. So that is on that end. And then there's the far end of the spectrum of our fuck ass relationship. Uh, and that is relationship anarchy. So Jessica describes this as this type of consensual non-monogamy falls at the very end or even off this chart completely. I completely agree with that. The term was first coined in 2006 by Andy Nordren, who applied political anarchist principles to interpersonal relationships. 
Relationship anarchists seek to dismantle the social hierarchies dictating how sexual and romantic relationships are prioritized over all forms of love. And so people who identify as relationship anarchists make less distinction between the importance or value of their lovers over their friends or other people in their life. And they do not only reserve intimacy or romance for the people they have sex with. So again, like that, I agree. Like, I don't know that it necessarily falls I think for a lot of people, it feels wildly on the end of that spectrum. I personally see solo polyamory as kind of the wild end of that spectrum, um, you know, at the, at the very end. But because uh, I personally actually really believe in a lot of the relationship anarchist ten, like tenants um, and everything that, you know, Jessica just described in that definition is very, very much what I expressed at the beginning of this podcast. Um, and so I think you can still feel that, frankly, in in any of the relationship structures that um, we've listed and talked about today. And then, of course, you know, I, this is not on the on the graphic I made, but within polyamory, you know, there's also pursuing multiple types of dynamics within that, whether it's something like kitchen table polyamory or parallel polyamory. You know, kitchen table polyamory being that, you know, everyone that's in your polycule, your partners, their partners, you can all get together, have dinner. You don't have to necessarily be best friends. That's awesome if it, you know, if you can be like that with your metamors and you you connect. But oftentimes, like, that just doesn't happen because we don't get along necessarily with everyone like, like two peas in the pod. But, you know, you, you can be kind, courteous, have meals together, be at, you know, parties together. And it's, um, it's much more of a, a, a community feel, community dynamic versus parallel polyamory, which is, you know, you have your relationship and your relationships and any relationship that your partner or partners have with their metamor, your metamors and, and their, aka their partners um, are, you know, you just don't really, you don't really involve each other. You know, you don't really see them. They happen parallel to each other. You coexist. And some people really, really have that as a preference. That's just how they like to do polyamory. And that can exist again in really any of the, you know, ladder on the, on the end of the, you know, more polyamorous spectrum, any of those relationship models, um, you can have KTP or parallel, um, you know, so again, it's all about your values. It's all about what you want. And the more you can explore this and the more you can get clear with yourself around what's important to you, the more you can actually understand, how do I want my relationships to go? And be able to talk about that with your partner and see where you guys lie. You know, are we aligned here? Um, you know, what are you wanting? And is what you're wanting something I can navigate if you're already in a partnership? And if you're not and you're dating, you know, if you know for sure that you're looking to have, you know, either a primary partner or a nesting partner, someone to live with and share your life with, and that person is solo polyamorous, you know, then you could know, okay, I'm poly, so I can totally still date this person, but my expectations around what they might be able to turn into or become or how they might fill that need has to be aligned with knowing that that's not going to happen, right? They can fill other needs. They can be a beautiful relationship that is really exciting and great, but they're never going to be that person for me. And just knowing that off the bat allows you to not have mismatched expectations and, you know, hurt that just wasn't didn't have to happen, right? That could have been, could have been addressed and, and tackled from the beginning and so on and so forth. Um, I wish more people had these conversations. I wish more people 
thought about these things intentionally. Um, and because of that, I'm making this episode. Um, and I hope that it's been as helpful to you as it was to me to really break this down and get clear on why I feel pulled to these things and what about them resonates with me. Um, because it really has allowed me to be able to go into all of my relationships, current and 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 past and future, um, with way more knowing and and understanding and um, honoring myself in the process. And there you have it. That's today's episode. Uh, for everything I shared about, and if you want to get your own copy of Polysecure, which I did reference a bunch in this um, podcast, you can check it out um, in the show notes or just get it on Amazon. And until next time, I will see you guys on the flip side. Bye-bye. <laughs>